0: This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. In this episode, let us take a look at the two semifinals of the T20 Cricket World Cup and then also have a quick preview of the finals before we take a look at some of the news from off the field. Let's dive in right away. Let's look at the first semifinal. First semifinal was contested between England and New Zealand. And this this was quite a wonderful game. So both the semifinals were good, but, you know, the first one... Somehow, whenever you are supporting a team like New Zealand, they are always the emotional favourites. They are always the dark horses or the underdogs, whichever we want to refer to them. And very much, they were the underdogs as well going into this game. Because, you know, England was one of the traditional favourites. And in this case, their bowling as well as the batting was pretty well balanced. That is English. One thing that worked in New Zealand favor was the toss. So New Zealand won the toss and they elected to bowl first. As has been the case for most part of the tournament, the team that wins the toss chooses to, you know, chase and has been more or less successful. Again, in this case, for England, Josh Butler and Johnny Best opened because of the injury to Jason Roy. Well, they could not really get away to as fast a start as they would have liked. So when Beastro was dismissed in the sixth over, the score was 37. In a way, if they could have gotten a couple more boundaries in that over, it could still be considered fairly healthy. David Malan coming in at three played a good hand. Josh Butler or Johnny Beastro really couldn't carry on from that point, of course. And then him along with Ali, built a solid, solid platform. So they took the score to about 116 in the fifteenth, sixteenth over when you know David Malan was dismissed for 41. But You know, David Milan also slowed down a little, one felt, because he was going at a strike rate of 150, and maybe he could have accelerated from then on. But even when he got out, he had a reasonable strike rate. 137 strike rate is pretty good. Moinelli continued to bat in the same vein, finished with a 50, with a strike rate of 137. Liam Livingston and Owen Morgan, who came in, sort of tried to push the score a little bit, and they ended up with a very competitive 166. You know, if you are a bit harsh, you could say they were probably 10 to 15 runs short. But given the way their bowling has performed throughout the tournament, they would be fairly confident. And for about 15 hours into the New Zealand innings, they were right with that. So, before we go away, if you look at the bowling analysis, Tim Saudi has been quite a revelation as far as New Zealand is concerned. He took one for 24 of his uh, four. Mostly, he's bowled before the death. Still, he does a very good job. Surprisingly, the spinners were attacked a little. Ishwadev took one for 32. When it came their turn to bat... So New Zealand lost Martin Guptill very early. He was dismissed by works in the very first over. But Daryl Mitchell was hanging on. He was scoring at a decent clip. Kane Williamson went early, so that was again another big blow. But then Devon Conway, who was also keeping in this game by the way for uh, New Zealand, him and Daryl Mitchell built a platform. So they were a bit behind the rate at all times, but they were still, you know, trying to get to a point where they would give their finishers like Glenn Phillips, Jamie Neesham, even Mitchell Santner a chance. Devon Conway was striking at about 120 and he got dismissed for a 46, a very well-compiled 46, it must be said. And he must be said he made way at the right time because Glenn Phillips and you could think James Nisham could from that point on take over, right? But unfortunately, Glenn Phillips couldn't take off. But then Daryl Mitchell kept James Nisham company who played a real, real blinder. So it must be, you know, it must be remembered. This is the guy who after the failed attempt in the 2019 World Cup, I think jokingly or not even very jokingly on Twitter said, why are you even playing the sport? Go become a baker or pick up some other profession and then die happy at 60. Why does one have to, you know, go through so much of pain, stress and everything and then have these heartbreaking moments? He was referring to the 2019 World Cup. But here I think he came out with a mission, right? So he made 27 of just 11 balls with three sixes. They really went after the death bowlers of England, right? So usually... Very reliable people like Vokes and more importantly, Jordan and even Adil Rashid were really, really targeted. Mark Wood also gave away a few runs. The one really good bowler as far as England was concerned was Liam Livingston, who's like a part-timer. But I I guess when it comes to t 20s he can be considered a full bowler. So he was the fifth bowler and he took two for 22. He did much better than the more fancied Adil Rashid, who went for one for 39. But then, you know, the twist in the game as far as New Zealand came was when uh, James Nisham, was dismissed. So, first of all, they were chasing something like 57 of the last four, which is like a very, very incredible chase if they were to achieve it. But they achieved it in three overs. The first two of those, uh, G- G- Jimmy Neesham went hammer and tongs. But then the moment he got out, apparently, Daryl Mitchell switched on. So, he hit a couple of sixes and finished the game in the 19th over. So, incredibly, New Zealand won the game with one over to spare. And against all odds, they are now in the finals, another finals. They will face Australia. So, if you go into the second semi final, a bit of a heartbreak if you are a Pakistan fan. And also, it must be said, they were sort of sentimental favorites going into this uh, semi final against Australia. So, Australia got into this game against many people's expectations. I will not say as a team they never expected to do well, but even they would have surprised themselves, I think, pleasantly to have gotten as far as the semi final. They finished second in that group. They were going to face the topper in group two, which was Pakistan. So, again, Pakistan, even though they lost the toss, they started pretty well. So they have this batting pair of Mohammad Rizwan and Babar Azam who's been doing well throughout the tournament. Again, they did pretty well. They laid a solid foundation. So in the 10th over, when Babar Azam was dismissed, the score was only 71. So Babar Azam really couldn't accelerate. He scored only at 115 or so, but he had done his job because we know Mohammad Rizwan really picks up the scoring the longer he plays. And that's exactly what he did. He was 31 of 30, but then he finished 67 of 52. And even though it's only about 128, 129, that stark difference and in that period where he picked up was a beautiful launching platform as far as the hitters were concerned. So in this game, Asif Ali was promoted ahead of Shah Malik and Muhammad Afiz, but well, he he couldn't get going. That can happen, right? So it, it was at the 19th hour and he was dismissed first ball. But Fakhar Zaman did a wonderful finishing job. He batted at 170 strike rate and... He finished with 55 not out. So this gave Pakistan a very, very strong 176 in in their 20-over. As far as Australia goes, Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood, both quite fancy in the death, got taken apart. So was Pat Cummins. Even though Pat Cummins, I think, salvaged a bit bit of pride in the last over, the way he bowled, the real revelation was Adam Zampa. Four overs, one for 22. Now, Australia were really up against it when they started the chase. But David Warner controlled the first half of the chase Brilliantly. Aaron Finch was dismissed. First ball again, another Shahin the special in the very first over of the innings. And well, Mitchell Marsh gave David Warner some good support. And together they took the score to 52 in the seventh hour already. So this was very much thanks to David Warner, who played a blinder, you know, 163 strike rate. And it looked like when he was dismissed, apparently the replace showed he was not out, but he thought he was out, so he walked, I guess. He was out caught behind of the spinner. Shadab Khan, who again did wonderfully well. He took 4 for 26 for Pakistan. But coming to the Australian batting, Stephen Smith and Glenn Maxwell failed in the middle order. So that put a lot of pressure. And around this time, after David Warner had been dismissed, they were looking at about 60-odd in four, four four-and-a-half overs. Stoinis was sort of already there and sort of had his eye in. He scored 40 of 31 balls. And he went on to sort of, as far as a end game is concerned, he did a holding role for Australia. But the real star of the show was Matthew Wade, who scored an unbeaten 41 of just 17 balls, which included three consecutive sixes in the 19th over of Shaheen Shafridi, where he closed the game out. You can always discuss how Pakistani bowling did because I think Shahin Shafri, this real impact in this game is not visible when you see he took 1 for 35 and then Imad Wasim 3 for 25. I think this is where David Warner did his bit where he attacked the spinners, especially Imad Wasim he attacked him hard. He attacked Hassan Ali very hard earlier and though he couldn't get Shadab Khan away, he also attacked Mohamed Hafiz. So then comes, you know, Haris Rauf who was a bit costly. I think Pakistan really, really had the game in their hand up until the 16th hour but then The three bad overs they bowled, the 17th, the 18th and the 19th, costed the game. In the last two of those overs, I think Matthew Wade played a very clever game as well. He had a bit of luck. He was dropped by Hassan Ali. It was a tough chance, must be said. But having got both hands to it, probably Hassan Ali will be a bit disappointed. But these things happen in a game. I mean, I think he was coming off a very tough over where he had been targeted for a few runs by uh, Stoinis. I think he was hit for a 4 and a 6. So it was probably playing on his mind. And that's probably why he dropped the catch. But that turned out to be really, really crucial. The catch was dropped in the 19th over. And in that very over, uh, Matthew Wade we know, went on a rampage. And he finished the game for Australia. And must be said, Australia, against all odds, are now in the final. What we can expect when we look at the finals? Well, the final, first of all, will be played in Dubai. It's pretty much win the toss, bowl first sort of a pitch. And when we look at the two teams and how they match up, it's going to be very interesting because when it comes to Australia, they are sort of starting to peak at the right time. New Zealand have been more or less good throughout the tournament and their bowling has been fantastic. The way their seamers, Saudi and Trent Bolt, begin, they do a wonderful job. I think it's going to be pretty much the first power play in both innings will be very, very crucial. So let's see how it goes because I think Tim Saudi and Trent Bolt versus David Warner and Finch. Finch has not been particularly good. And I think he'll be itching as a captain. And he's usually also a big match player. So New Zealand will be very, very him. The other big matchup we can see is that of spinners, the leg break bowlers. So Adam Zampa versus Ishody. Ishody has been pretty good this tournament. Zampa has been good even in the semifinal. So, and how the two, let's say, backup spinners support them in, in the form of Santner for New Zealand and maybe somebody like Len Maxwell for Australia, how they support them is going to be very crucial. And of course, you know, on paper, the Australian bowling lineup looks fantastic. People like Stark, Hazelwood, and Cummins. One of these three, if they turn up and if if they have their day, opposition is blown away. But then, at least in the last game, you saw Pakistani top order taking them apart very clinically. So, and the way the New Zealand middle order has just finished the previous game, they'll carry a lot of confidence into the batting as well. And even if they bat first, they'll probably back themselves to score 170 and try and defend it. Same for Australia. So, as I said, really how the two first power play goes. So maybe somebody like Hazelwood and Stark versus you have um, somebody like captain and Mitchell. And on the other hand, how Finch and uh, Warner play Saudi and Bolt. This is how real, pretty much how it goes. And of course, there has been a small blow as far as New Zealand are concerned because Devon Conway, who's been doing well throughout the tournament for them, has broken his hand. And it happened in a very unfortunate manner. So it was... He struck his hand against his own bat in frustration once he was dismissed in the semi-final. And it looks like he's broken his hand because of that, right? So he hit it in a very odd way and he's broken his hand. That's really unfortunate because not only is he ruled out of the World Cup final, but also he's ruled out of the upcoming tour of India. So that's very unfortunate for Conway, but probably a lesson learned because he's a very talented cricketer. We know this. And I think as long as he channels that uh, energy in the right way, I think he's going to continue to perform really well. I mean, he had done really well in the semi-final. He couldn't take his team across the line. That's why he was probably a bit frustrated. Tim Seifert will take his place. Probably he'll bat in the middle order as well as keep. So what remains to be seen is how much of a difference this this change will make for New Zealand. But they're sort of confident. They're quietly confident as always is with New Zealand teams. One thing that's really against them is history. Having played Australia in Now, 17 knockout games across different tournaments and across, you know, different formats even. They have beaten Australia only once. And that was all the way back in 1981. And that was the first of a three final, you know, series that was usually happening in Australia whenever they had the Benson Angels series. Which, unfortunately for New Zealand, they even lost that tournament. So, they had won the first final but went on to lose the second and the third. So, in the last 40 years. They have never even beaten Australia in a knockout game. So let's see how this goes and a lot to look forward to for the final. When we look at some of the other news from around the cricketing world, one of the interesting news that has come to our notice is that Bangladesh women who are playing the three ODI series in Zimbabwe have taken the series by winning the second game. So they had already won the first game previously. It was a low-scoring affair, the first one. But the second one as well, in a relatively low-scoring affair, I think the Bangladeshi women's bowling is very, very competent and very hard to handle for the Zimbabwe women because in the second game as well, Zimbabwe women were 121 all out and Bangladeshi women chased it down with not a lot of problems and they finished in even time. Just in the 25th over, they chased this down with only one wicket lost. So congratulations to the Bangladeshi women's team. In other news... We hear a lot about the fallout as far as Yorkshire Cricket Club is concerned. And there's been one more casualty in this fallout. Mark Arthur, who was the CEO of Yorkshire, has also resigned. So he's the second big casualty behind the chairman, who had resigned last week. Another casualty is, this is a different club, the Essex County Cricket Club in this case. John Faragher, who was uh, the chairman, has resigned over the usage of an alleged racist language in a meeting as far as back as 2017. This is a real reckoning that's happening in English cricket. And I think this is a really good thing as far as, you know, at least some of the people who may have racist attitudes and racist beliefs, they are being rooted out. The current English captain and senior Yorkshire pro, Joe Root, has come out in support of his county and in support of game in England in general, but has of course said you know some of the things that are currently going on needs to be cleaned up and rightly so moving on the india test squad for new zealand series uh, their home series against new zealand has been released and some some interesting uh, names there so there have been four people rested so panth bumra and shami have been rested for the whole series Kohli has been rested for the first game he'll come back into the squad for the second test and he'll also be leading. This is good to see. So, these fast bowlers as well as the keeper, they've played a lot of games and it takes a lot of toll on their body. We know that. But the rest of the bowling attack has been kept consistent. Shadul Thakur who is also not in the T20 squad before the test series has been dropped in the test squad as well. Maybe he's been given some chance to also recover as well as work on his fitness and some other things. It looks like at least some very well-known names, let's say, who were also on the edge of selection have been chosen. So, for example, Shubman Gill is back in the squad after his injury. Shreyas Iyer has been chosen. He's uncapped, of course, in this format. And then Mayanka Karwal is retained in the squad. Jayant Yadav, the spinner, makes a comeback. So some fantastic names who've been sort of, you know, next cabs of the rank. And one of the biggest gainers is K.S. Bharat, the keeper, the RCB keeper, who's been doing really well and who's also been doing well on the first-class circuit for a couple of years already. He's been chosen. So the rest of the fast-bowling lineup, Ishan Sharma, Umesh Adav, Mohammad Siraj will stay the rest of the spinners ravindra jadeja ashwin and akshar patel will stay and jayant was their backup and the backup fast bowler is also a very interesting name Prasid krishna i think when you look at Prasid krishna's record he's been chosen mostly based on promise as well as what the coaches and the you know the people behind the scenes have watched when they've seen him perform because he doesn't have that stellar record but a pretty decent record to, uh, when it comes to first class cricket Karnataka. So he's taken, I see 20 odd wickets in the last two to three seasons in an average of 19, which is good. But nonetheless, congratulations to all those who have made the squad. A couple of people you might feel are a bit unlucky to miss out. People like um, Hanuma Vihari, who's been on the squad or in and out of the squad mostly. But the selectors are still keeping him in the Count as they say, because he's now a part of the India a squad that's playing a full series in South Africa, facing a South Africa a squad, a very strong one. So I think he's being sort of groomed as a batsman who's more suited to play outside India, given his technique. And I think eventually we are going to see horses for courses, even with Indian cricket. So we recently heard a lot of talk about how different fast bowling groups can be chosen for each format. This was the outgoing Indian fast bowling coach, Bharat Taruns opinion so we might also see horses for courses when it comes to different conditions even when it comes to batting a different set of batsmen for overseas conditions and different set of batsmen or one or two changes in the team when it comes to batting as well for home conditions let's see if you know this is really the way indian cricket goes the depth they really have they can actually afford to do that you may never see people making a huge mountain of runs but then they might actually end up contributing well and helping the team win One uh, other important news is that Janet Britton, Mahila Javardana, as well as Sean Pollock have been inducted to the ICC Hall of Fame. I think the latter two need really not a lot of introduction, but Janet Britton, if you have been following women's career, probably needs no introduction too. She's a real, real stalwart. She was the most capped women's player until very recently. She's played 27 tests. In the tests, this is the, let's say, the highest still. And then she was also the oldest woman to score a test 100, and she won a World Cup with England in the 1993 and she was the top scorer in the final as well. So very, very well deserved. So congratulations to all three of them. These were all the news we wanted to discuss in today's episode. And we wish to have your company for the upcoming episodes where we will discuss the finals of the ICC T20 World Cup as well as we may have a couple of very interesting guests lined up. I'm not going to give anything away, but there may be some international players who might be guesting our episodes in the upcoming couple of weeks. So do keep an eye out for this. Thank you very much and have a great day wherever you are. Bye-bye. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.